Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Interactions, a podcast about law and religion and how they interact in the world around us. It's Monday, November 15th, and today we're looking at the influence of foreign law in U.S. jurisprudence in light of the upcoming case on abortion in Mississippi. In her article for Canopy Forum, M. Christian Green outlines the debate in the U.S. Supreme Court between Justices Kennedy and Scalia about whether or not foreign rulings should be considered in U.S. law. The conversation still continues today and becomes even more pressing when speaking about abortion rights. Scholars have pointed out that the right to make individual reproductive health decisions is a fundamental human right protected under international law. This question of the role of foreign law in the U.S. court system has implications for abortion rights, reproductive freedom, and the bodily autonomy of women everywhere. Is the debate around the validity of foreign law in U.S. decisions just another instance of American exceptionalism? And could considering foreign and international law lead to a more democratic America, even more so for women? All this and more on today's episode of Interactions. I'm Janet Metzger, and this is Abortion, Dobbs, and Foreign Law at the U.S. Supreme Court by M. Christian Green. On December 1st, 2021, the United States Supreme Court will hear the case of Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. It's a case that threatens to be the death blow for abortion rights, reproductive freedom, and the bodily autonomy of women everywhere. In Dobbs, the last remaining abortion clinic in Mississippi is challenging the state's 2018 Gestational Age Act, which proposes to ban abortion after a mere 15 weeks. Not only is this before the standard of fetal viability set forth in Roe v. Wade, it's also before the standard recognized by medicine. If upheld, this so-called heartbeat bill, premised on the idea that a fetus's heartbeat can be detected before viability, could end up having broader implications. Given the Texas legislature's recent passage of a ban on abortion after six weeks, a point at which a fetal heartbeat is sometimes detectable, and before most women even know they are pregnant, the implications of Dobbs could even include the overturning of Roe. Needless to say, the prospect of overturning a nearly 50-year precedent supporting abortion rights has generated considerable debate. But a recent opinion editorial in the New York Times by legal commentator Adam Liptak draws out a dimension of the Dobbs case that is especially interesting for the study of international law and human rights. Liptak points to an ongoing debate that emerges from time to time on the Supreme Court about what validity, if any, foreign law and international law should have on American jurisprudence. This question of the applicability of foreign law was once a divisive issue between two justices in particular, the late Justice Antonin Scalia and retired Justice Anthony Kennedy. 
Justice Scalia was vocal about rejecting the influence of foreign law. In his dissent in the Missouri case of Roper v. Simmons, which held that it is unconstitutional to impose the death penalty on persons under the age of 18, Scalia wrote as follows, The basic premise of the court's argument, that American law should conform to the laws of the rest of the world, ought to be rejected out of hand. To invoke alien law when it agrees with one's own thinking and ignore it otherwise is not reasoned decision-making, but sophistry. Scalia made a similar argument in his notable dissent to Lawrence v. Texas, a case that decriminalized homosexual relations and overturned the previous precedent of Bowers v. Hardwick. Scalia took issue with how Justice Kennedy had referenced European law in his majority opinion. Constitutional entitlements, Scalia argued, do not spring into existence because some states choose to lessen or eliminate criminal sanctions on certain behavior. Much less do they spring into existence, as the court seems to believe, because foreign nations decriminalize conduct. The Bowers' majority opinion never relied on values we share with a wider civilization, but rather rejected the claimed right to sodomy on the ground that such a right was not deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition. Bowers' rational basis holding is likewise devoid of any reliance on the views of a wider civilization. The Court's discussion of these foreign views, ignoring, of course, the many countries that have retained criminal prohibitions on sodomy, is therefore meaningless dicta. Dangerous dicta, however, since this Court should not impose foreign moods, fads, or fashions on Americans. Justice Kennedy argued for the relevance of European law in an opinion that would become a hallmark of both his concept of liberty and his cosmopolitan jurisprudence. In Kennedy's words, In all events, we think that our laws and traditions in the past half-century are of most relevance here. These references show an emerging awareness that liberty gives substantial protection to adult persons in deciding how to conduct their private lives in matters pertaining to sex. This emerging recognition should have been apparent when Bowers was decided. Of even more importance, almost five years before Bowers was decided, the European Court of Human Rights considered a case with parallels to Bowers and to today's case. The court held that the laws proscribing the conduct were invalid under the European Convention on Human Rights. Authoritative in all countries that are members of the Council of Europe, the decision is at odds with the premise in Bowers that the claim put forward was insubstantial in our Western civilization. This Scalia-Kennedy split over foreign and international law would become a regular point of contention in the Supreme Court chambers whenever the court argued cases on issues related to human rights and fundamental freedoms. Justices Scalia and Breyer had a debate over the American constitutional relevance of foreign court decisions in 2005, which can be watched online. There's a book called Who Needs Foreign Law? 
by Marianne Glendon, where she assesses Scalia's record on foreign law in U.S. courts. And finally, the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has been quoted affirming the value of what she called comparative side glances at foreign law. Justice Kennedy seems to have taken a remarkably different view of foreign and international law than Justice Scalia did, and some have attributed Kennedy's moderate position on the court to this more cosmopolitan, global perspective. As legal commentator Jeffrey Tubin observed in 2005, Kennedy has a passion for foreign cultures and ideas, and, as a justice, he has turned it into a principle of jurisprudence. Over the past two years, he has become a leading proponent of one of the most cosmopolitan and controversial trends in constitutional law, using foreign and international law as an aid to interpreting the United States Constitution. Kennedy's embrace of foreign law may be among the most significant developments on the court in recent years, the single biggest factor behind his evolution from a reliable conservative into the likely successor to Sandra Day O'Connor as the court's swing vote. Does a global perspective on the law help create more moderation in viewpoints? It is a question worth pondering in what are frequently described as our polarized politics that seem to have given rise to a politicized court. Considering the upcoming hearing of arguments in the Dobbs case, it's notable that abortion was another issue where Justice Kennedy's internationalism manifested itself in an opinion which Scalia would come to deride as Kennedy's sweet mystery of life passage. Specifically, in Casey v. Planned Parenthood of Southeastern Pennsylvania, a case which provides the most recent precedent for upholding the Roe v. Wade framework on abortions before 24 weeks, Kennedy wrote, these matters involving the most intimate and personal choices a person may make in a lifetime, choices central to personal dignity and autonomy, are central to the liberty protected by the 14th Amendment. At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. Beliefs about these matters could not define the attributes of personhood were they formed under compulsion of the state. It seems specifically significant that in the same section of the Lawrence opinion where Kennedy invoked international law, he also saw fit to reiterate, through direct quote, his earlier reflections on liberty in the earlier Casey decision on abortion. The reiterations of the Casey mystery passage is certainly due to the way in which the Lawrence decision became a forum in which Kennedy and Scalia revisited and relitigated the question of stare decisis and when one can overturn long-standing precedent that was at issue in both cases. But it also raises some interesting questions about whether ideas of liberty and cosmopolitanism are intertwined in Kennedy's thinking. Does a more cosmopolitan approach to the law 
give rise to an expanded definition of liberty, particularly in regards to the real empowerment that comes to women from a reproductive freedom that enables so many other freedoms in their lives? Freedoms from a woman's sense of bodily autonomy to the security in self-determination to achieve her destined potential? Do these social goods suggest that American understandings of such freedom should follow the understandings of international law and other nations around the world? We'll be right back after the break. Hi, Interactions listeners. This is Justin Latterell at the Center for the Study of Law and Religion. If you like this episode and want to learn more about the interactions of law and religion around the world, check out the link to our book brochure in the podcast description. There you'll find over 40 new titles like God and the Illegal Alien by Robert Heimberger and Michael Perry's new book on human rights, democracy, and constitutionalism. Each title includes a short description and a link to buy the book online. Thanks for listening to Interactions. In the Roper decision on the juvenile death penalty, once again going against Scalia, Kennedy asserted that it does not lessen our fidelity to the Constitution or our pride in its origins to acknowledge that the express affirmation of certain fundamental rights by other nations and peoples simply underscores the centrality of those same rights within our own heritage of freedom. Something like this argument for cosmopolitan human rights liberalism may emerge again with the Dobbs case. In fact, defenders of Mississippi's lone abortion clinic have argued that it should. United Nations mandate holders, including eight officials of the body, have submitted a brief arguing that allowing the Mississippi law to stand would mean, quote, retrogressing on human rights contrary to international law. Another brief written by legal and political history scholars noted the importance of an approach that frames abortion in human rights terms, a strategy that has proven successful internationally. Using language that would surely pique Scalia's curiosity or ire were he still with us, a brief written by European law professors argues that the abortion clinic's position and the Roe v. Wade precedent are consistent with the overwhelming and strengthening European consensus in favor of strong abortion rights. The conservative European Center for Law and Justice, by contrast, argued in its brief for an international duty to prevent abortion. Countless briefings in favor of a woman's right to abortion channel Kennedy's concerns for liberty and rely on international law to make their argument. Mississippi reproductive justice organizations have argued that well-established international norms make clear that liberty without the right to make this choice is not liberty at all. International and comparative law scholars advised the court that, 
a rigorous comparative law analysis of foreign abortion laws provides this court with a useful perspective. Of the importance of the ability of women to safely terminate a pregnancy and the integral nature of this right to women's autonomy and well-being, a group of women lawyers have observed International human rights bodies have found that denying or obstructing a woman's ability to do so can amount to cruel, inhumane, or degrading treatment under multiple human rights treaties. The evidence does not end there. Women of color are disproportionately affected by pregnancy and childbirth complications, leading a group of organizations and scholars to maintain that the right to make individual reproductive health decisions is a fundamental human right protected under international law. The message is clear. Experts, researchers, and advocates against criminalization of abortion have made abundant citation to international law on the harm that comes from abortion criminalization. There are groups and organizations opposed to abortion, of course, who reference arguments from international law in their briefs. These include the European Center for Life and Justice, as I mentioned earlier. There is the Illinois Right to Life and others on international fetal rights. There is the Center for Justice and Human Rights against an international right to abortion by custom a group of conservative international law scholars against a human right to abortion, and a group of conservative European legal scholars arguing against a right to abortion under the European Convention on Human Rights. We should not be surprised that the list of amicus briefs citing international law against abortion rights is shorter than those in support. In recent years, we have seen shifts toward more permissive abortion laws in a range of nations, some of which were formerly very restrictive of abortion rights. On May 25, 2018, two-thirds of Irish voters supported a referendum overturning Ireland's long-standing ban on abortion. In Argentina, the Senate voted to legalize abortion in December 2020. In 2017, Chile legalized abortion in cases of rape, fetal unviability, or where the pregnancy was a threat to the pregnant woman's life. And in September 2021, Chile's lower chamber of deputies voted to begin debate to consider further decriminalization liberalization. Also in September 2021, Mexico's Supreme Court voted unanimously to decriminalize abortion. There are nations that have gone in the other direction, such as Poland, which enacted a near-total ban that went into effect in January 2021. It remains to be seen what attention, if any, will be given to foreign and international law in the Dobbs case. U.S. scholars who work in comparative and international law and know that many nations around the world not only look around at other nations' laws, but also express their commitment to international laws by fully domesticating the substance of the international treaties to which they are signatories. 
In this light, the ongoing debate over whether America should consider global legal trends seems curious. Is eschewal of foreign law just another example of American exceptionalism? Or does it demand a more substantive debate over the status of cosmopolitan jurisprudence? One thing is for sure. The late Justice Scalia's opinion is not the sole view, much less the dominant view of the matter. That was Abortion, Dobbs, and Foreign Law at the U.S. Supreme Court by M. Christian Green. You can find the full article on Canopy Forum by following the link in the episode description. Canopy Forum and the Interactions podcast are distributed by the Center for the Study of Law and Religion at Emory University and produced by Anna Knudsen. I am your narrator, Janet Metzger. You can follow Canopy Forum on Twitter or Facebook and subscribe to Interactions on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for listening.